Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. I think it must have been about three months ago, I interviewed my old friend Mike Malone, Silicon Valley's most illustrious journalist, about his new book, The Autonomous Revolution. He actually co-wrote that book, and of course, three months uh, in the history of technology is a particularly long time to uh, to borrow from Harold Wilson. Today, in uh, the beginning of uh, May 2020, uh, the world from a tech point of view looks dramatically different. Mike's co-author on The Autonomous Revolution uh, is Bill or William uh, David Auer, I call him Bill, Bill David Auer, who uh, is a, a longtime executive at Intel, one of uh, Silicon Valley's earliest blue chip companies. And in 1985, he founded the very illustrious venture capital firm, Moore David Auer. So, uh, so Bill is both uh, an executive and a VC, and like Mike, incredibly well-versed to understand the ups and downs of Silicon Valley. Uh, I always thought Bill was positive and optimist, but his last book, I think The Autonomous Revolution, and particularly his thinking since that book, has become increasingly pessimistic. Uh, Late in April, uh, he co-authored an an essay with uh, Mike Malone called Dopamine Capitalism, which was about the way in which Silicon Valley is essentially restructuring uh, not only the business life of America, but its social and cultural life too. Uh, Bill, how pessimistic are you in the wake of the, uh, of the pandemic uh, about the way in which now technology is reprogramming, reprogramming us? And you use this word programming a lot, both in your dopamine capitalism essay and in your autonomous revolution book i don't like the thought that people are trying to control other people's behavior now throughout history that's always been going on and it's always the degree of control that is the issue but whenever uh it it seems to me uh a powerful force gains control over a large group of the population, uh, problems result. And I I would like to see uh, people have less control over others. Uh, and the situation that I'm concerned about is that when everything is known about us because of our, uh, people can monitor our behavior 100% of the time, they, they are in a much better position to program our behavior and control our emotions and to use various algorithms to control our behavior. And um, I worry about the effects of that. I, I think a lot of that, one of the effects of it is we become increasingly polarized uh, because uh, 
people learn how to uh, use our emotions to get us to to uh, hang out with other people who have emotions just like ours, and uh, we tend to hang out with those people, and then we become polarized groups and and we sit there and all we do is talk to our friends and we think everybody else is stupid. And the minute that that happens, um, then uh, you have problems. This kind of argument wouldn't be surprising coming from some young left-wing journalist or some critic of Silicon Valley. But Bill, you're the ultimate insider. You have a Stanford, a Stanford University doctorate in electrical engineering. You're a lot, as I said earlier, you're a longtime Intel executive. You founded one of the, the bluest of blue chip venture firms. Uh, this is really troubling, isn't it? I mean, what you're saying. Did you wake up one morning and suddenly realize that everything you'd worked for in your life had gone bad? Well, I, I, you see, I think what was going on in my career was something very different than is going on, I will pick, since the year 2000. Um, when I was at Intel, we were all enthusiastic uh, because we were going to go out and change the world. And what we were really doing was uh, automating existing processes. I kind of joke about it, but we made stoplights run better we made cash registers that could add uh, because you could put a microprocessor in them. And, uh, you know, we automated spreadsheets so you didn't need a, a quill pen to do things. And But the processes stayed the same. There was still a factory. There was still a stoplight. Uh, there was still a, a word processor or typewriter. Now along comes 2000, and in the book, uh, The Autonomous Revolution, we talk about something called social phase change. And our institutions, just like when water turns to ice, change form. They obey different rules. Water obeys fluid flow, ice doesn't. We use different tools. We use pumps and pipes with water. And our intuition about water tells us nothing about ice. Now, our intuitions are doing, our institutions are doing the same thing. Um, suddenly, what happens is that a bank changes form. It becomes an application on a smartphone. Now, wh when I was at Intel, the bank was still a bank. Suddenly, a bank um, may not be needed in the form that we thought about it before. And all these institutions change form. And when um, journalism has changed form as well. So you get, uh, we reduced the cost of one-to-many communication by a factor of a million, let's say. It used to cost a lot of money to communicate. Now it's free. So in the past, we used to say, I had free speech. Well, that was that was sort of nonsense. I could say whatever I wanted to, but nobody heard me. If I wanted to talk to a lot of people, I uh, ended up uh, uh, going through 
uh, mass communications where an editor controlled what I said, or I had to spend a lot of money, like uh, uh, Carl, uh, uh, like people have done to influence recent election where the Koch brothers spent $400 million to influence midterm elections. Well, suddenly the free market was the limit, put the limit on really free speech. Suddenly that doesn't apply anymore. And what you have is a tremendous amount of fake news as an example. So uh, institutions change form. And when that happens, we don't have the controls in society uh, to make people behave in a responsible way. Bill, uh, if my math is right, and I'm not very good at math, there's 20 years have elapsed since uh, 2000 when you said this big shift happened. Um, Today, as we speak, in May 2020, the economy has been flattened. Society is in profound crisis. But the one sector of the economy which seems to be emerging very strongly from the crisis is tech. Tech stocks are up. Everyone is, is more and more dependent on technology. Amazon is hiring hundreds of thousands more workers. Uh, do you think, in retrospect, when the historians write the history of tech, over the last century, that the pandemic will be the moment when the dark world that you and Mike have forecasted in autonomous revolution and dopamine capitalism becomes a reality? Well, look, it doesn't, number one, it doesn't have to be a dark world. The reason we wrote the book was to say, hey, we're into a world where we're going to, if we want the world to be really good to us, uh, we're going to have to change the rules. Uh, and uh, and uh, so uh, what, what the book was arguing for is change a few of the rules to make the world um, it, it be better at serving us. Bill, I understand that. And, um, and I understand, but, but you wrote the book before the coronavirus pandemic. And as we speak, the world is being radically reorganized, reshaped, undermined, revolutionized. Um, to, to what extent do you think the pandemic uh, accelerates all the processes that you describe? What I concluded was that the pandemic is uh, making this process happen faster. Um, it, it hasn't it isn't doing anything. Uh, well, number one, uh, the book wasn't about the pandemic, so let's we're going to deal with the pandemic. Sorry, I, I didn't express myself clearly enough. The the economic and technological consequences of the pandemic. It, it, all the it, what I have concluded is the pandemic is just accelerating the process of social phase change at a faster rate. So if it was going to take. 30 years for it to happen. Now it's going to take 20. 20? You mean after 2020? I mean, or, or, or the world that emerges? Well, I, I, I don't know. I can't forecast how long this transition is going to take. My point is, is that it's going to happen more rapidly. And that makes it more challenging to deal with. We're going to have less time to adjust. 
So, 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 so let's imagine the world in a couple of years. We emerge from this pandemic. Someone finds a vaccine. We go back to quote unquote normal. But it's a new normal. It's a, it's a world where tech companies are increasingly dominant. Yes. Where ma- many of the, the, the analog companies have either disappeared. You use the example of banking. There's still going to be a banking industry, but it's going to be a digital money banking industry. That's um, right. What do we need to do in this world to ensure that we don't end up with, again, quoting you again from, from dopamine capitalism, uh, a, a population of programmed humans, a world where we no longer have freedom? I, I think one of the most important things we could do is give individuals complete ownership of their information. And one of the things we said in the book is that uh, what we would like to do and what we thought would be great is if somebody like Bill Davidow could have a safe deposit box and an information fiduciary where all of this information about me was stored and I had the key to that box. And then uh, if an insurance company wanted to sell me automobile insurance and they wanted to know, uh, uh, look at that information, I could say, you can look at this information for that purpose and for that purpose alone and I'll supply it to you. Or if uh, I wanted to do free searches on Google, I could say, Google, I will give you uh, my, I'll say, level one information and uh, in, in return for you doing free searches for me, but you and only you can use that information. If we don't make that information available broadly for everybody to use, uh, we're going to cut off the ability uh, to program our be- behavior, or we're going to reduce it significantly. And I have a hard time seeing how that would have uh, horrible effects on the economy. Uh, Bill, a lot of people talk about um, a Green New Deal, um, a profound reshaping of, of, the, uh, of our policy towards the environment. What you're suggesting, it sounds like, is a, is a digital or a data New Deal a new way of thinking about information that will profoundly reshape society. This is not a cosmetic change, is it? No, it is not a cosmetic change. And, uh, you know, for example, um, one of the things that um, we should have is a micropayment system on the Internet so that I could go to places and and buy a, an article that I want to read. And uh, so that we, you know, so that authors could get paid or newspaper people could get paid or that news services could get paid for the information they provide. Uh, What we have done is we have taken something that is extremely valuable and we have uh, set the price on it at zero. And whenever you underprice a valuable commodity, it gets abused. And what we've underpriced is information about the individual. And um, we've said it's worth nothing. And um, we let Google and Facebook and uh, all these applications have access to it. 
and they've discovered a way to abuse the market. Um, and uh, the, the way they abuse the market is they sell it for advertising, and they don't pay me anything for it. Think of it. Think of it this way. Think of me as a manufacturer of my personal information. I've got a certain amount of capital equipment. I, uh, I, I, I use my computer on the internet to produce the information that Google and these places use. I use my smartphone, to, which is my capital equipment, to produce that information. I, I use my car to go to the supermarket, which is my capital equipment. And you, you take a picture of me at the supermarket and facially recognize me. I am using my manufacturing system to produce this information. And you're paying me nothing for it. Now, if I were a manufacturing company using a piece of stamping equipment to make something that I put on my loading dock and you took it, you'd go to jail. So because this is information and it's intangible, we don't think of it that way. But what has happened is that uh, people have, in effect, stolen my information and are using it to make money. And if this were 50 years ago, you would have had to enter my home, um, break through the door, and you would have been arrested. But today, uh, the form of things has changed, but we haven't changed the rules that should be associated with that new form. So very briefly, very briefly, Bill, um, how are we going to change dopamine capitalism? It seems that we we have, I, I think, essentially two alternatives. Either this comes like the old New Deal through government, or it comes through a next generation of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and investors. Where's it going to come from? Well, uh, I would hope that there are certain things that that um, Silicon Valley uh, could do. Like there is no reason why Silicon Valley couldn't come up with a micropayment system for the internet, as an example. But we've been hearing about microsystem payments for years. Jérôme Lanier, for example, championed them in a book he published about eight years ago. Nothing's happened on that front. Well, I, I know, but you're asking me what can what can the commercial segment do, and I'm saying one very important thing is they could they could do things like that, uh, and I think it's going to require. Um, some push from the government as well. And uh, uh, it, because um, if, if I've got business models based on um, the fact that uh, micropayments threaten my business model um, and I'm a powerful company, uh, then um, it, 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 it requires some push from the government. Bill, cheer me up. Uh, I'm still not convinced of all this, but we're all stuck at home and I always end our interviews on this note. Um, give me a couple of books that people might read that might give them some wisdom, some perspective on our current historical situation, perhaps a way to empower themselves or to rethink our relationship to technology. Well, I just got through reading a book by uh, Walter Alvarez and uh, titled The Most Improbable Journey a big history of our planet and ourselves. Uh, 
and it's a it's a fun book to read, and it really makes you think. Uh, Walter Alvarez and his father Louis Alvarez, who won the Nobel Prize in physics, um, were the basically the discoverers of the the or developed the theory about what wiped out the dinosaurs, and a, the big history book is the is the story about how big events have determined the course of humanity, and it starts with the Big Bang, and it takes you right up to today, and it's a, it's a really fun book to look at. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.